0: Hello, and welcome to The Tish. I'm Dina Weiss. Vows are an interesting thing. On the one hand, they are taken extremely seriously, and the Torah repeatedly reminds us that when we commit to something, we have to keep to our word. We are taught that really... You should never make vows, better to be silent than to rush into vowing, since once you make that promise, once you speak those words, you can't really ignore them or retract them. Except for when you can, because we also have a robust system for annulment of vows, where you can go and say, well, actually, if I had known then what I know now, I never would have said what I said, I never would have made the commitment that I made. And the justification for this process of annulment is essentially that we're short-sighted, right? That we make all sorts of commitments, we make all sorts of promises that we really, really intend to keep, but we can't. And that actually, we don't really know ourselves well enough to always be kept to the promises that we made. And the more V'ashemesh thinks about this question of vows and their annulment and he tries to get into the mindset right and the mentality of the person who makes the kind of ill advised vow that they are then going to have to go to the court go to the baiteen and beg to have annulled and essentially he says that what is going to inspire a person to make this kind of vow and I think here when we get into the mindset of the vow maker it brings it a little bit closer to us who are not necessarily making vows with a capital V and citing God's name all the time, but have a lot of these same impulses that led our forebearers to be frequently making vows. And the Marva Shemish says, what happens is someone will experience some kind of suffering or some kind of hardship and they become desperate to fix the problem and they wanna make sure that they can address it as quickly as possible. And so instead of doing slow and painstaking work, uh, you know, a very elaborate and deliberate process of tshuva, people get into this anxiety-produced quick-fix mode, and they just want to solve the problem by quickly committing to a better behavior and being bound to it, and not really doing the slow, hard work of taking their own personalities, their own strengths, and their own weaknesses into consideration. They just try to short circuit the whole chuvah process by going straight to, I swear, I'm never going to do this again. And then lo and behold, because they are the same people that they were, you know, in the seconds before they made the vow, they find it extremely hard to keep up with those commitments and they end up needing help to get out from underneath that vow. And the Marva Shemesh says, you actually can't short circuit this process of short circuiting, by which he means, and you can't just tell people don't make vows. Instead, be insightful, slow, calm, patient people who never do anything impulsive. Instead he says, this is actually part of the process. You need to have that moment of panic which leads you to realize the intensity and severity of your situation, that is going to almost inexorably lead you to make this kind of vow. And then with the passage of time, when you become a little bit more calm, when you're in a space of self-reflection, then you're going to realize, oh, actually making the vow was not the right path for me. And I'm going to go to the Din, and they are going to help me with articulating and committing to a process that does make sense, a process that is reasonable, a process that is gradual, and a process that comes from a kind of slow recognition of who I am, as opposed to a panicked recognition of the you know terribleness or the emergency nature of this situation. I think that his understanding right of the role of baiting here is really critical because we often think that we know ourselves the best. And the Morav Shemesh says, sometimes, right, when we are in a place of true desperation and when we are in a place of really feeling like we need to get to a certain goal, we don't always recognize ourselves. We actually aren't the best people to evaluate our situation and to evaluate what is the right thing for us to do next. And I think that one of the reasons why the Morva Shemesh has this approach to vows is that he understands that really all learning about ourselves and all improvement that we make is part of a lifelong and constant process of tshuva. And instead of thinking of the vows as being the solution to the problem, the sort of end of the tshuva process, the Morva Shemesh thinks of the vows as the beginning of the tshuva process. Making this vow he sees is actually a reflection of our identifying a serious and acute problem. Because we recognize how serious the problem is, we go and make a really strong commitment to address it. Without the recognition of the seriousness of the problem, which is the recognition that leads to the vow, there would be no tshuva process as we recognize it. So the kind of slow, deliberate, insightful work of self-improvement and self-reflection, that actually only gets kicked off from moments of, "Oh my god, I can't believe I'm in this situation. Oh my god, I can't believe I'm in this place." And the panic is the trigger. So the Morvashamesh understands that, even if the vow itself is not necessary or the vow itself is not good, the emotional state that leads to the vow, the insight that leads to the vow is actually a core turning point for Chuva. And he's willing to forgive you for making the vow and even willing to forgive the vow itself because he sees that as being such a critical turning point in your process of understanding where you are and what you need to fix. And I would have thought that vows are about keeping to your word, no matter what. Always doing what you commit yourself to do. And the more Vashemesh understands that actually the annulment process is core to what it means to make a vow. And it isn't actually about doing what you said you will do, but finding the best path for you. And sometimes that process is going to include some missteps. And sometimes that process is going to include some large steps that you're going to need to walk back in a more steady and gradual way. So I think that the Mor insight into what propels people to make vows and how and why they eventually get undone really gives us, I would say, three insights. The first is that we should try whenever possible, to not make these vows, right? We should make decisions when we are in a calm state of mind rather than in a panic. So when we recognize that we're in a situation where we are likely to make a vow, the solution is not to then make the vow. The solution is to recognize, oh, I am not in a stable state of mind right now. I actually need time to evaluate, because whatever decisions we make when we are in the throes of despair and desperation are often not going to be our best decisions. Okay, so insight number one is recognize that you are likely to get into a kind of emergency panic state. And when you're in that place, identify it and try to step out of it before you make any rash decisions. Um, The second element is that we're not going to necessarily succeed in always identifying and exiting those situations, and that if we make commitments or decisions in error, it's actually okay. We are, I think, accustomed to thinking that when we commit to something, the most mature response is to stand by that commitment at all costs. And the Morva Shemesh says, well, that's not actually always going to be the case. Sometimes the right thing and the productive thing to do is not to stand by your word no matter what, but to acknowledge that you made a mistake and to say, I actually need to approach this in a different way. I made a commitment. I was serious about that commitment at the time, but all people make mistakes, including me, and I should be allowed to change my mind. And the third element is this element of bringing this problem to Beijing, bringing the situation to the court, that sometimes we actually don't have the insight into why we do what we do or why we say what we say. And we need the perspective of someone else, someone who is compassionate and wise, but someone who is not ourselves to help us release ourselves from choices that could turn out to be more harmful than helpful. And I think that the Morva Shemesh really is giving us these guidelines in the hopes that we won't make vows, but seeing that we probably will make vows to give us this framework for understanding why we did what we did, so that we'll have the insight to be able to get out of it. The nature of the forgivingness here um, is really what strikes me and is moving to me, that vows are all about enforcement mechanisms, right? Making sure that you keep to what you say that you're going to do. You know, if I were to give a shiur, if I were going to give a class about vows, that would be the takeaway that I would be giving over. Vows are about sticking to your commitments, saying what you mean and following through. And the Mor Shemesh says, actually that's not what vows are about intrinsic to the process of making vows is the possibility that that was not the right way to go is the process of identifying and then releasing ourselves from certain commitments that we make. And I don't think of myself as being more rash than other people, but I do recognize this tendency in myself You know, to get into a place where I feel like I'm up against the wall and there's a problem that I need to fix and I need to address it right now and making a decision that you know if I had more time to think it through I would not make that decision. And to be told that that's okay that that's actually part of the process of making good decisions is making the wrong decision first and to not feel like I need to keep to that initial statement all the way to the end. In some ways I find to be very freeing in addition to being very forgiving. It enables me to have a process, to make a slow process out of a fast process, that I'm allowed to evaluate after the fact, and I'm able to say, I made a mistake. I'm going to commit not only to do better, but also to do differently, and also to work through my issues with the insight of other people who are able to help me. This episode was produced by Sam Greenberg, Effie Unterman, and Jeremy Tabak. Thank you to David Khabinski for recording and editing this episode. Music for The Tish is from Hannah Raskin's debut album, Raza Capella, produced by Rising Song Records. <laughs>